Well, hello. Thanks for being here today. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat? And we're going to pray in just a moment, but I have to echo everything that JR just said about this series. I have been so enjoying the gospel-centered life and uh, the deep dive into what I believe is the most central discussion of our faith. What is the gospel? And, and, and does it actually have the power to transform every area of our lives? And, and, and as we've been exploring this over the last few weeks in our services together on Sundays and for many of us in our community groups, you know, we've been exploring more and more of who Jesus is, who he actually is in our lives, and, and, and what his sacrifice on the cross really means for every area of our lives, and just how radically transformative the gospel is in every area, in every circumstance, in every situation of our lives. And, and I pray that today, as we continue the series and we continue to discuss the gospel in, in correlation to the mission of our faith, that we wouldn't just gain new knowledge. That's, that's good. Knowledge is great. But if it's just knowledge, then it becomes notes we write on a notepad or things we go, hmm, let me keep that in the backlog of my life for later on. We don't just want more information. I pray that we have an experience with the presence of God today, that we would open our hearts and minds to the possibility that there's more to discover, more to know, more to learn, that we haven't figured it all out yet, and that if we could open our heart to the gospel, not just our, our ability to take in information, but open every area of our soul to the transformation that God would have for us today in this place, that we truly could leave here different than we came in. Those of you watching online, that, that after this time together, that you, you could have such an encounter with God's grace today, that it leaves its mark on you way past the time that we have together here. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here with us this morning. We pray, God, that as we explore the gospel and, and we explore truly the mission that you've given us, this great mission to spread the gospel, that our hearts would be open to seeing things differently than we've ever seen them, that, that, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see your grace in all of this, the purpose that you've given us, that, that, that something would be awakened within us this morning that needs to be awakened and all to your glory. We open our hearts and minds to you and we say, have your way, Jesus. We know that salvation is in you, hope is in you, life and life to the full is in you, and so we don't look to anyone else right now in this moment. And, and we lay aside our to-do list or our distractions or our, our, our anxieties or our fears, all the things that we came in with and, and came to this moment with, we lay them down because we know that you are the one who saves. And so we look to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Recently, I had the privilege of getting to spend some time with my family in Seattle, and I got to hang out a lot with my nephew, Rocco. He's five. He's about to turn six in September, and that is like the perfect age to be talking to a kid because... Every time they, they start a discussion with you, you have no idea where it's going to go. Like, you know, it could be incredibly profound or, or you know, really ridiculous, and, and it can change in a minute, in a moment. And I love my conversations with him. And one of the conversations that we had that, that he brought up is he started to tell me all of the things that he's looking forward to doing when he becomes a grown-up. And this list was very, very expansive and included going outer space and visiting the moon multiple times, I think on a weekly basis, uh, getting married, that's, in, that's important to him, and uh, also eating ice cream for every meal. So th th that was the list. And, and part of me, as I was listening to him, I, I was like really proud, you know, like, way to go, bro. Like, thank you for, for being a dreamer and, and dreaming big and seeing beyond the possibility. Yes, you can go to outer space, you know? The other part of me, though, was like, oh, that's so cute, right? That's what you think being grown up is like, you know, right? <laughs> 
because we know that, that being a grown-up doesn't necessarily include all of those things. Like, I'm not going to the moon after preaching today. I'm going to the grocery store because i got to stock up my fridge. Like, this is the reality that we live in. You know, I'm not eating ice cream for every meal. I would love to do that, but my body would object to that over some time, right, or my digestive system. Like, it's just not going to happen because we know that part of being a grown-up is not always doing what you want but doing the things that you should be doing, the things that, that you need to be doing to be a responsible grown-up. Like, that is just part of life. You know, let me put it this way. I have yet to open a bill that has been sent to me and read how much money I owe and go, oh, I got a bill. Oh, oh, I got a bill. Babe, come look. There is money that we've got to pay other people. This is incredible, right? Like, no, not going to happen. I'm not overjoyed about that, but I just need to do it to be a grown-up, right? It's not like I'm waiting for the train to come, the subway platform, and I'm waiting and I need to be somewhere on time and uh, I have just the right amount of time to get there on time and then I hear over the intercom, because <laughs> that's really what it sounds like and, and, and then I can translate that because I've lived here long enough to know that what it really means is, I'm sorry, but we are experiencing momentary delays, there is train traffic, right? When I hear that, I have yet to go, <gasps> oh, did you hear that everybody? A delay, a delay, high five everybody. We get to experience waiting longer for the train than we would like to. This is incredible, right? Like, no, right? Because it's just the things you have to do. As a grown-up, you just have to be chill and work it out, right? Like, I, I, it's not what I want to do, but it's something that I'm going to do. It's not like I've ever actually sat at the dentist's office and sat in that seat, the torture device seat, you know? And before the dentist begins to clean my teeth and examine, I'm like, wait a minute. Um, actually, Dennis, before you get started, um, I just got to tell you, like, this is really special for me. Like, this is, um, this is a, a dream come true. Ever since I was a little girl, I used to dream of the moment when a stranger would be shoving metal into my mouth for over an hour, and I would be struggling to not choke on my own saliva and drool all over myself. Like, just thank you. Thank you. I just needed you to know this, right? Like, no, not going to happen, right? I don't go to the dentist because I want to. I go because I should, because it's the responsible thing to do. Life is full of shoulds, and we understand that as an adult. And, and that's not that big of a deal when it comes to the little things because it equals, you know, a payoff for us of, of, of a long life or a healthy life or, or, or being able to continue to do the things that we need to do as adults. What I've found is that a lot of times the shoulds in life and the wants in life aren't always the same thing. And that's where there's tension, because there's certain things we want to do, and then there's certain things we know we should do. And when it comes to the more important things of life, the things that make up who we are, the things that, that, that determine our sense of significance, that, that, that cause us to relate to the world and relate to people in a certain way, that, that, that help us sort out our, our true purpose in life, when, when those things become a should and not a want, well, that's where it gets really dangerous for us. That's where it gets really murky for us. That's where it gets really hard for us to move forward in life. You know, if, if your loyalty to your spouse and your commitment to the, the covenant of marriage that you made over a prolonged amount of time becomes something that you just should do and not something that you want to do, that's going to cause a problem in the marriage. If your relationship with God goes from being something where it's this passionate pursuit 
to a list of shoulds that you have. I'm here today because I should be here today as a Christian. I need to be going to church. I'm showing up to my community group because I just know I should. Over a time period, if that's prolonged, then it's going to erode every part of intimacy you have in your relationship with Jesus. When it comes to your job, if the job that you were once praying for and praising God for is now the job that you are begging to get out of, if you stay in that situation for a prolonged period of time, if you're living the most important parts of your life from a place of should instead of a place of want, well, that's where life gets difficult. That's where our sense of peace leaves. That's where confusion sets in. That's where frustration sets in. That's where the things that we were once passionate about now, we just going through the motions of life. That's where it's hard for us to genuinely connect with people. The list goes on and on and on. Because when it comes to the most important things of life, we were never meant to do them simply from a place of should. We were meant to do them with a place of love and a place of dedication and a place of devotion, right? And when it comes to our faith, there's some things that are central to our faith. The gospel being one of them. Actually, the most central to our faith is the reality of the gospel that Jesus died for us that Jesus rose from the dead for us, that we could not earn salvation on our own, but that he did it out of his unfailing love, that his grace is what saves us. This is the reality of the gospel. And because we have been entrusted with the gospel, we've also been entrusted with the mission of the gospel, which is to love other people because we've been loved, to serve other people because we've been so radically served to spread the good news of Jesus, to be a minister of the gospel wherever we go because we've been on the recipient of the gospel in our lives. This is, this is central to our faith as well. Without this, we have no sense of purpose. Without this, we're just going through the motions. This is so crucial to our faith. We know this. We know that we have this mission. Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to you and I as well today in John 15, 16, I have chosen you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that lasts. Everything, anything that you ask in the name of the Father, I will give you. This is a promise from God, but it's based on this sense of purpose, to know that we are not accidents, we are not mediocre, we are not average. No, 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 we have been designed by heaven himself. We have been designed and uniquely formed and crafted for a great purpose, for a mission. And if that wasn't clear enough, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven and before the believers and us today still are on the receiving end of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm giving it now to you, right? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and know surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is our mission, to go and make disciples, to go and spread the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Because we are a recipient of the gospel, we now are a messenger of the gospel. Because God has done something in our lives, we can't keep it to ourselves. The experience that we're having here on a Sunday, it cannot be simply contained within these walls. We are meant to go and love our coworkers, go and serve in our community, go and share the testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives to our family members, go and always be available for God to use us to do good in the life of somebody else, to live our life in such a way that we are actually bringing the kingdom of God here on this earth, that we are catalysts of change, 
that we are agents of love, that we are bringers of grace wherever we go. This is our mission. We know it. We know that this is our mission. We know that this isn't something that's simply been regulated to the people with a mic or those who are in full-time ministry or those who get a paycheck or pastors or preachers. If you have your own TV show on a Christian network, well, then this is your responsibility. No, we know that it's ours. Every single one of us have been called to this mission. And yet, not a lot of us are actually fully doing it. If we could be really honest, there's a survey that, that the Barna Research recently done a, did a study where they surveyed and, and they asked questions to a number of Christians in the United States. And asked this question, they said, do you believe that it is central to your faith to share the gospel? And 73% said yes, it is the responsibility, is one of the primary responsibilities of a Christian. But less than the majority of that group of people, only the ones that believe that it is central to faith, actually did it at least once in the last year. So we know we should be doing this, but we're not. Or we're certainly not doing it perhaps to the full extent that we could be. And what's the problem? Well, we could say, well, you know, I don't feel very equipped. I don't know how to share my story. I've never done it before. Or we could say I'm busy. I got a lot going on. Or, you know, there's just a lot I'm sorting out through my own life right now, or I, I don't really want to offend a lot of people, or it just didn't seem like the time was right, and the list could go on and on, and you know what, there's a place for every single one of those, and, and there's very specific circumstances where, yeah, that makes sense, but I actually don't believe that that is why we have such a problem fulfilling mission. I think the bigger problem is that our mission has become a should instead of a want because it's just the thing we know we should do, but not the thing that we have a deep burning desire to actually do. It's quiet in this room, that's okay. Because I believe that God's grace is filling the, the silence right now and reminding us that our mission was never meant to be fulfilled from a place of simply obligation, but something so much greater, a place of deep love, deep love should versus want. Should, I should do this versus man, I can't wait to love and serve somebody today. I can't wait to fulfill the mission that God's given me to be a minister of the gospel today. The real problem with seeing the mission of our faith as a should and nothing else is that we have a reaction to it as human beings that is dysfunctional one way or the other like most shoulds, because we, we either react to it with legalism or with license. With legalism, we say, okay, I know I should be doing it. It is the right thing to do as a Christian, and if I don't love people, and if I don't serve every now and again, and if I don't actually share my faith with somebody else, then I'm not a good Christian. Then God's going to be angry at me. So I have to do things, and if I don't do those things, then I'm going to be punished in some way. So I'm going to do what I need to do to stay in the good. I, I, I'm, I'm going to share my faith, not because I really want to, but because I need to. And I'm going to serve and show up early for church and help out, not, not because I actually have a desire, but because I know I should. 
and I'm going to invite that coworker to church that I don't really like that much. Not because I want them to actually join my church community, Ugh, I'd have to see them even more, but because I'm feeling really bad, and I should. The problem with that is that we see people as a box we check instead of seeing people like children of God. We create a formula and we have a certain expectation about what happens when we do our part and if they don't meet that expectation, then we are angry, then we are frustrated, then we wipe our hands of people and move on instead of deeply loving them with compassion and sincerity and showing them the same affection that God himself has for that person. When we create a formula and people don't meet the requirements of that formula because people are messy, let's stop saying people, I'm messy, then we dismiss them. And we say, well, you weren't ready. Well, I guess that's up to you. I told you, I hope you figure it out in your life. Instead of continuing to love and pray and serve, we stop seeing the humanity of people because we're not driven by compassion, we're driven by obligation. We just wanna do whatever we need to do to be right, to be in the clear. People are a means to our end. We're not the people, sons and daughters of God we were called to love. It's like two kids who get called out by a parent because they're fighting over a toy. Inevitably, the parent will say, okay, now it's time to make up. I want you to look at your sister and say, I'm sorry. I want you to look at your brother and say, I'm sorry. And you need to share. And so they look at each other, but they don't really look at each other. They look at the ground and they mumble, I'm sorry. And then the other person says, yeah, me too. And then they go and they play again. They're not sorry. They still want the toy. There'll probably be another fight, maybe very soon. There was no connection. There was no unity. There was no reconciliation in that moment. They just did what they needed to do to not get in any more trouble. If we wanna be reconcilers, if we wanna be peacemakers, if we wanna bring unity to a divided world, then we simply cannot do what we need to do to not be punished. We have to see bigger and be motivated by a place of love. And if we're not going to have a legalistic response to the shoulds, then we tend to have a licensed response where we give ourselves license we make exceptions to the mission. We, based on our own preferences and prejudices, decide whether or not today's the day for us to actually love somebody or serve somebody or spread the gospel. So we say things like, oh man, you know, I, I really would serve, but you gotta see my schedule. It is cray cray right now. I'll get around to it though. Or uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I should be kind to that coworker and I should be you know, asking them how that is going, but they are drama. I don't know if you know them, but they're a hot mess, and I just don't need any drama in my life right now. Or, you know, I would share my faith. There's a, there's a prime moment here in this conversation. They're actually asking me about it, but I don't wanna make anybody feel uncomfortable. I don't know how it's really gonna land, and you know what? I mean, they got other people in their life, and they probably just don't need to hear anybody preaching to them right now, right? And we, we, we make this list of excuses. We become the exception to the rule based on our comfort, based on our insecurities, based on our busyness, based on our ways. We all do this. A couple years ago, I was on a plane, and I was uh, boarding to head to Vancouver, and I had done a whole day of travel. So I was pretty tired, 
And I was going to speak at it. I just come from a, um, a ministry trip, and I was headed to another one, so I was about to speak somewhere else. And I still needed to finish the, the message for the conference. And so I, I sat down, I got in my seat, 10 deep, pulled out my laptop as soon as I possibly could, and I just got to work. I had an agenda of what I needed to get done that day. That was, I, I need to finish this message, and then I need to sleep. That was it, you know? And, uh, and as I was, you know, working on the message, typing away, about, I don't know, 15 minutes into the flight, this stranger next to me starts moaning, like moaning, like very strange noises coming from this man. And my reaction was like, oh, Jesus, why? Like, why am I next to this moaning man? Like, this is really bizarre. I'm getting nervous, and we have a long flight. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just not going to make eye contact with this man. I'm just going to zone in. I've got work to do. Well, the moaning continued, and then after a while, he actually started elbowing me with his elbow. This was happening like every few minutes, and I did the very passive-aggressive thing where I didn't make eye contact with him. I didn't look up. I just said, oh, it's fine. It said it was not fine, but I was like, it's fine, and I kept working. I did not want to engage with this strange man in any form. But it kept happening again and again and again over the next 30 minutes, just elbowing me nonstop. And finally, I was like, okay, this bro does not understand the universal language called armrest. It is a divide. This is my space. This is your space. And I'm not going to be able to finish my message so that I can preach the gospel to a lot of people and they can encounter the love of Christ. He is an obstacle right now. And so I decided to look at him and ask him to politely mind the gap. And so I, I turned to him, and this is the first time I've actually looked at this gentleman for the entire flight. And I look at him, and I realize that he has his arm in a sling, and then he's in an incredible amount of pain. I'm feeling like a jerk, to be real, and because uh, all these things I've been thinking. So I just close my laptop, and I look at him, and I say, I'm sorry, sir, are, are you okay? And he's like, no, actually, I've been trying to do everything I can to get comfortable on this flight, but I can't. I'm just in so much pain. And so I just, I knew that I couldn't offer him anything to ease the pain, but I thought I can distract him. So I said, I'm so sorry, sir. Do you mind telling me what, what happened? Do you want to talk about it? And that began a conversation for the whole rest of the flight, mostly just listening to this man share his story and how he is a very successful fashion designer in Vancouver for a lot of years. And last year, he was in an accident with his son, a car accident. His son was driving, and and gratefully for him, his son wasn't severely injured, but he was. And he'd gone through countless surgeries now to try to fix what was broken in his arm, and nothing was easing the pain. And it was so much, so many doctor's visits and so many surgeries, and he was never going to get full function, the doctors say, back in his arm, that he actually had, a, had to retire early. And that had placed a financial strain on his family. It had caused friction in their marriage. And so him and his wife aren't, aren't, aren't doing so well at the moment. Plus, he's got two college kids, and uh, the boys are kind of making some interesting choices, and he's nervous about that. And the doctors keep telling him that he has a lifetime full of surgeries and or pain, most likely both. I listened. I wasn't quite sure what to say, so I didn't really say all that much, but I mostly listened. I did actually get to share faith with him, and I was able to tell him, hey, God sees you. He loves you. And I believe God can repair this. And we got to pray together. Actually, I got to pray for him. And at the end of the flight, I helped him with his bags. And we kind of walked a, a bit together in the airport. And then it was time for us to part ways. And he started to walk off. And he took a few steps. And he turned back at me. And he said, hey, thank you. And I needed this. I really needed this. Thank you. 
then he walked away. And what I should have said to him, but I, I kind of didn't have the words in the moment, was, no, thank you. I needed this. I needed to be reminded of the people around me. I needed to be inconvenienced. And it was this big aha moment for me as somebody who, who loves Jesus, who's been transformed by God's grace. I needed to be reminded that somewhere in my heart, the mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ had shifted. And it wasn't this deep burning desire to share as much as it was an obligation. Because I had given myself license on that plane to not notice this man because he was inconveniencing me, because he was getting in the way of my day and my plans and my agenda. But I'm so grateful that he elbowed me on that day because it caused me to realize there's a greater mission than just getting my way. It's to love and serve the people around me. I think sometimes we, we get stuck in that little trap, stuck in the rut of thinking life is about me getting through my day and my agenda and my plans and what I want and achieving my stuff. And we forget humanity all around us and we need to be nudged. We need to be bumped. We need to be messed with in all the best ways. So we either have this response to should that is legalism or this response to should that is license. But neither of those are actually going to cause us to live the full and incredible lives that we were destined to live. Neither of those responses actually provoke us to have a deeper understanding of purpose and fulfillment as believers and followers of Jesus. The great question becomes, how do we move our mission from a place of just should to an actual place of want and deep desire? I think in order for us to understand mission as a want, not a should, we should probably just take a look at somebody who's truly fulfilling mission from a place of want. <laughs> There's something about looking at somebody's life who's burning with passion that kind of spurs you to create some passion as well. And we see this. We see somebody driven by mission, and it comes from a place of deep burning want and not obligation in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, we see this, this woman, actually, a very unlikely candidate in Jesus' time, fulfilling a great mission. She's an unlikely candidate for a number of reasons. First, she's a woman. And in Jesus' time and day, women weren't actually seen as equals. And it would be very bizarre for a woman to engage in spiritual conversations with men, with religious men, with rabbis. Secondly, she was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. Jews and Samaritans did not mix. They didn't talk. They didn't hang out together. They didn't dialogue. So how was she going to have an encounter with Jesus and actually receive grace and then fulfill mission? Thirdly, she had a past. She had a reputation. Her, her, her reputation was a bit scandalized. She had had multiple husbands, and the man that she was living with at the time was not even her husband. So she was marginalized and ostracized by her community. She certainly was not an influencer in her community, and yet she fulfills a great mission. Because in John chapter 4, in the middle of her going about her routine and drawing water from a well, she encounters Jesus. Jesus meets her there out of his grace and out of his goodness. And he begins a dialogue with this woman, which that alone shook her. And then he begins to offer her living water. He reveals to her that he is the living water she has been searching for her whole life. He gives her grace. 
the disciples, they stumble upon this interaction in John chapter 4 that she's having. They're a bit caught off guard. They're wondering what their rabbi is doing talking to this woman. And she has a response. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 28, this is what the woman does. This is leaving her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, to her community, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. She told everybody about Jesus. She has an encounter with Jesus. And then she drops everything. And the same community that was whispering behind her back, that wasn't giving her any say, she now is leading to Jesus. And see how the rest of the story unfolds. So, so there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of his teachings. Then the Samaritan said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you told us, but now we've heard from him ourselves and are convinced that he really is the true savior of the world. Listen, a whole village was revolutionized by the gospel because one woman had an encounter with God's grace. Because she let God's grace infiltrate her internal, she became an external vessel of God's grace. Because God's grace messed with her, she became a message of God's grace to others. And so many times we miss this part. We know we should be loving others. We know we should be serving others. We know that God's given us this great mission. But because we're not having a fresh encounter with Jesus at the well like that woman did, we have nothing to give to the world. If we want to revolutionize the world with God's grace, it begins with us having a fresh encounter with God's grace. Since when did we believe, can we just be really real here, that, that we only needed God's grace once upon a time? Like, when, when did we fall into the trap of believing the day that I made a decision to follow Jesus, that's when I really experienced God's grace. And now I'm just kind of reliving the same story when I come to church. I don't know about you, but I need God's grace every single day of my life. I need a fresh revelation of the gospel at work in my life. I need to be able to wake up and know what Jesus did on the cross still affects my relationships, still determines my sense of purpose, still gives me a sense of significance, still tells me my worth. I didn't just have a revelation of God's grace once upon a time and that's going to carry me through the rest of my life. I need a fresh one every single day, and so do you. And if we want to live mission from a place of want, Man, it starts with having a fresh experience with Jesus. Letting the gospel renew our hearts and minds in the places we need it most. Because I'm telling you, if we can get back to that place where Jesus is our living water, not just yesterday or once upon a time, but today and tomorrow and the day after that, man, do we have a lot of water to give other people. It starts with us having a revelation of God's grace. The world needs people that are living, transformed by the gospel. Not just know the gospel, but living daily transformed by the gospel. Because those people, man, nobody needs to tell them to fulfill mission. They just want to do it. I know this is kind of a silly analogy, because it's so much simpler and less rewarding than the gospel. But I'm one of those people that when I see a movie that I love, I'm going to tell the world about it. I am. I'm just one of those people. And I don't think I'm alone. I think we all are that way, right? 
And, and I don't actually care if the person doesn't ever watch the movie. I don't, I don't care. I'm going to tell you anyway. I don't care if you don't like the actor. I don't care if you're not into that genre. I'm still going to tell you. It doesn't matter how you receive that information. I feel good about giving you the information. And if I really love a movie, I will go take you to see that movie that I've already seen. And if you're like, what, you've already seen it? I'm like, no, you don't understand the joy I have in watching somebody else experience what I have experienced. That's just with movies. How much more? Our faith. Man, when you're having an experience with the love of God, it doesn't matter how people receive it. Hear me. It doesn't matter whether or not they ever encounter it. It's not about that. It's like, I know how good this is. So I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to come with you. And I'm going to invite you. And I'm going to do whatever I can. And you might not understand this, but I take joy in you having this experience that I am having too. This is how mission goes from a should to a want. It's so important that we get a fresh revelation of this. In just a moment, we're going to pray, but I, I want you to know how, how much this actually changes the world. That's a phrase we use a lot. We've kind of become a little cliche. But I actually do believe God's called us to bring change. And I think it happens moment by moment, one person, one life at a time. And when we understand our purpose and we're driven with this passionate pursuit and not obligation, people encounter God's love. I know because it happened to me. I became a Christian when I was 12 years old. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I became a Christian at a kids camp, a Christian kids camp that I went to. It was radical for me. For the first time in my life, I had an understanding that God loved me and that he had a plan for my life, and that was radical. I remember I was such a tomboy, I loved being outside, just getting in trouble all day, all day, every day. And I came back from that camp, and instead my mom was like, what happened to you? Because somebody gave me a Bible, and I would spend hours in the morning just reading my Bible. Nobody told me I had to do it, I just wanted it. And I, and I would pray, and I, 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 brought the, I got the biggest Bible. I didn't know better. I was little. Uh, I got the biggest Bible I possibly could. I saved money for it, the bigger the better. And I, I brought that to school every day, sixth grade year. I was like, people going to know, revival's going to happen because I was so transformed myself by God's love. But at the same time in my personal life, there were so many challenges going on. My family was a hot mess. My parents were fighting all the time. My dad wasn't drinking anymore as a recovering alcoholic, but he was still dealing with all of the internal issues that had led him to drinking in the first place. And there was this one particular time that my parents had such a huge fight that divorce got flung around and my mom packed up some things, and my sister went to stay with a friend for a couple of weeks, and I went with my mom to stay with a family member. And uh, my dad, I remember being in the living room watching us pack up, not even making eye contact with us as, as we left the house. And I remember starting to think the questions that you think as a kid, like, where am I going to end up? Am I going to go with mom or am I going to go with dad? This is really happening. I, I, I want to go with mom. But I know if I don't go with dad, he's going to be heartbroken. What do I do? You know, these questions that kids shouldn't have to ask themselves, but this is real life. This is what was going on in my head. And I had been praying for my family every day, every day with such faith. God, do a miracle in my family. Change my family. And it felt like nothing was happening. Not only was it nothing happening, it felt like it was getting worse. And I remember one morning as a 12-year-old girl, new in my faith, that I had this real raw conversation with God. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I believe you exist, but I don't think you're as good as you say you are. I don't think this thing is working. 
And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to follow you anymore. I believe in you, but I'm not going to do this thing. Because it doesn't matter. Because you don't care me. And you don't care. Angry. I went to school. And uh, we got our progress reports that day. And I was a straight-A student. It was very important to me. And I looked at my progress report, and there was a B on the conduct line. And there was a note by my teacher that said she talks too much in class. What's that about? Not true. And so I was angry, and I was frustrated, and this was the one area I could control in my life. And so I remember during lunch, I, I had every plan to go to my teacher and argue my way back to an A. This was unjustified. I was going to get my A. And so that's what I did. I went to Mrs. Budak, my sixth grade teacher, and I told her how much I deserved this A and how unfair this was. I let her have it. And she listened. Now, what I didn't realize until that day was that Mrs. Budak was different. I knew she was a bit different from the rest of the teachers, but I didn't know why. It was because she was a Christian and because she was being transformed by the gospel herself. And so she just listened. And at the end of listening, she didn't actually say anything about the grid. She just said, hey, can I pray for you? I was taken back. So, okay. And here's what she said to me before she even prayed. She said, hey, babe, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know something is. And here's what I need you to know. God sees you. And he hears you. And he will take care of you. She didn't have to say that. Nobody told her to. In fact, she could have lost her job for saying it, to be real. But she did it anyway. We prayed together, and in that moment, I walked away from that, and I still had the same grade, and I still had the same drama in my family. But I had a revelation of God's love and God's grace. But you know why that happened? Because that woman was opening her heart to being transformed by grace herself. And so she was willing to do what was inconvenient and uncomfortable and be used by God in a moment. I don't know what happened to Mrs. Budak. I looked her up on Facebook. I cannot find her, and that's the only way I know how. But I actually believe I will see her in heaven. And I owe her a huge thank you. Because I would have walked away from faith that day if she wasn't willing to fulfill mission from a place of want instead of shame. There's power in it. I want us to pray. To pray in this place and open our heart to the possibility that God could redirect us to a place of, of want when it comes to our mission. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you see us. We thank you that your grace is so good that it truly does radically transform our lives. And in the places where perhaps we've become calloused to grace, I pray that we would get a fresh revelation in hand of how deeply you love us. That on the cross, your blood was shed for our salvation, and that you are our hope. That we would have a fresh understanding in this place, that we're forgiven, that we're loved, that we're valued, that we're your children, and we can never earn it. And we pray that this understanding of grace would renew our hearts and minds in the places we need it. And that we would leave here today, not with demands on us, but this deep desire to know this grace more. And to not only be on the receiving end of your grace, but to become a vessel of your grace to those around us. I pray that we would be the Budaks, Mrs. Budaks of the world. 
because we are continually opening our hearts to know more and more of your grace. And for those in this room right now,